Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th. Hosted by Kevin Hart, the seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with The Fall Guy. What are you doing later? Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes! Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Nope. Because I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. It's a great football team with a lot of moral fiber and a lot of character, and they showed it. Shout, a Buffalo football podcast hosted by Matt Perino and Ryan Talbot. No place else you'd rather be than right here, right now. When it's too tough for them, it's just right. Presented by Syracuse.com and NYUP.com. The Bills make me wanna. Bills Mafia, what is up? A special Tuesday edition of The Shout, a Buffalo Bills football podcast. I am your host, Matt Perino, and this is this is a special episode because these days I'm here with my co-host, Ryan Talbot, of course. Ryan, we don't do a lot of audio-only podcasts these days because like I said today on our live show, I like the people to see your face. Oh, absolutely. Right now, they're not going to see your face. When we look this good, we have to kind of show it off to the right. masses. It's it's only right. Okay, now I can hear you. Very good. <laughs> so this is a special episode because let me line this up before I introduce our guest. About a month ago now, not even a month ago now, uh, a little uh, you know, Twitter spat, uh, you know, bubbled to the surface, and you know, of of course, Josh Allen was the uh, topic at hand and and one of the you know the comparisons that seem to follow him no matter what is this idea that going into year three we are on the precipice of a Mitchell Trubisky situation and every time I hear this I I'm just perplexed because the two players just fundamentally speaking put on a game and watch Mitch Trubisky put on a game and watch Josh Allen you could take the best game for both of the quarterbacks or the worst games for both of the quarterbacks. And you're not going to come away with that thinking, man, I really like to find a comparison for these two guys. They're just different players. They, they play the game differently. They win differently. I, I just, I just don't understand. Now I get it. Like if you think there's going to be a regression, Mitchell Trubisky is a great example to use. I just, I just don't think that what from a, a playmaking perspective, from a mental perspective, they're comparable at all. My man, Bruce Exclusive. The Bruce Exclusive is the podcast. Bruce Nolan is his name from Buffalo Rumblings. My man, welcome to the show because you are going to be brought on here because you were at the you were in the middle of this thing a month ago. I feel like I am keeping Bill's Mafia from seeing your guys' faces. And I, I'm just I'm really sorry that I'm depriving Bill's Mafia of the handsomeness of Ryan and Matt here. Uh, you know, I, I feel like I owe everybody an apology right off the bat before we even get into any of my takes, which I might owe a second apology after those are done. But I at least owe an upfront apology just for that. I am doing fantastic. Thank you so much for having me. Anytime, man. If you are not familiar with Mr. Exclusive, get on board because he has one of the uh, most informative and a real f- breath of fresh air on the bills uh social media scene and media scene and uh he does a great job with this podcast as do a number of people over at the buffalo rumblings podcast network uh our boy uh steve at the buff hub just joined the uh the mix anthony marino a friend of the show as well we always love uh, catching up with anthony and so many more people who do a great job over there i want to give them a quick shout out uh this is it shout and if you're new to this show where have you been? And we've been going now for almost four months. Please subscribe 
rate and review. It really helps us out. Uh, we are going to bring you so much coverage from this season. You're going to be sick of this team by the end of it. I'm just kidding. You won't be. You're Bills fans. All right. So as we sit here right now, the, the, the tweet in question, and I had to track it down because this is a month ago, Bruce, and we're now two weeks in, almost two weeks into training camp. So we've, we've turned the page a little bit. We let this, I let this simmer for probably too long, but it's okay because when this comes out, I think later this week or early next week, it's going to be right about the time where we're really jonesing for this season to start. So I think it'll be fine. But you said something in a tweet where you basically, you know, mentioned what it takes to find a franchise quarterback. And it got to me to thinking, what is a franchise quarterback? And what does it mean not only to have one, but does it equate to success in the league? Because every time I hear the term franchise quarterback, two guys just pop for me, like right off the bat. One is Phillip Rivers and one is Matthew Stafford. And I just think, these two dudes are just phenomenal quarterbacks, like elite-level quarterbacks, in my opinion. If you take their body of work, the things that they've done in this league, I would firmly say that they are both franchise quarterbacks. And, you know, Phillip Rivers, I think, is going to be a Hall of Famer. I think Matthew Stafford, after he, you know, finishes his career, I think he'll have a strong argument as well. And that could be debated, and that's for another show. But what has it gotten the Chargers, and what has it gotten – the Detroit Lions. You know what it's gotten the Detroit Lions, Bruce and Ryan? Three playoff games, three playoff losses, one and duns, and no real change on the horizon. I mean, Detroit's not even really expected to be in the mix this year. And they have the quote-unquote franchise quarterback. So, Bruce, I will turn things over to you. Help us understand. Okay, so... I would define a franchise quarterback as being someone who can be on a market second contract and allow your team to make the playoffs consistently due in plurality to their impact on games without requiring an abnormally talented remainder of roster. That is my definition of franchise quarterback. If you think about separating the quarterback from the other 52, we know that the quarterback has way more impact on the game than one fifty-third of the game. I talked about on my podcast not too long ago. I was trying to kind of break down. We know the quarterback is the plurality reason why you win and lose games, but how much, how big is that plurality? I settled on somewhere in the neighborhood of 37%. Some people would say higher, some people would say lower. But if the quarterback is the biggest reason, singular reason, why you win and lose a game, but in your great examples of Philip Rivers' and Matthew Stafford cannot be entirely the reason why you win and lose games. If they were, then those two franchises would be infinitely more successful. You know, if quarterbacks were 80, 75% of the reason why you win and lose games, then all you'd have to do is come up with a good quarterback and you'd be set to go. That's it. That's the only thing you have to do to have franchise success. But we've established that's not true. So the real question and the way that you would rank quarterbacks and the way that I have historically tiered quarterbacks is – how much help do you as an organization need to give him with the other 52? So if you assume that that quarterback position has been stabilized, the better that spot is, the less assistance you need to give him for the other 52 to qualify for the same team results. So that's really the question. The question is, if that quarterback is on your team, how much help do you need to give them? And so I have defined franchise quarterback as a quarterback that can be on a market second contract and allow your team to make the playoffs consistently due in plurality to their impact on games without requiring an abnormally talented remainder of roster. Because you can make the playoffs with any quarterback. You can make the playoffs with any quarterback. You can win a Super Bowl with almost any quarterback. We've established that earlier. There's plenty of examples that are significant statistical outliers. Brad Johnson, Trent Dilfer, Joe Flacco got, on, got hot. That's just the way this works. 
The question isn't, can you do it? It's what's the probability of you doing it? So if you have that quarterback position locked up, how much help do you have to give them? And that's the way that I think it's best to measure quarterbacks by the remainder of team. Interesting. I think we have a very recent example of what you're talking about. I mean, you go back to the 2018 Super Bowl, the Patriots versus the Rams. I will maintain to this day that Jared Goff, outside of a few pockets of success, is not a top 15 quarterback in the NFL. In a very, you know, pass-friendly era of football, he's not very good. Um, it's part of the reason why I'm going to pick the Bills to start 4-0 because I think that even with the defensive uh, potential of the Rams bouncing back this year, I still don't think they have a quarterback that could come into Buffalo and beat this defense. So to your point, though, you know, Ryan, I want to hear from you on this. Like, how do you define a franchise quarterback and where do you – how important is it to find it and when should you kind of want to find it by? Yeah, so, you know, actually I like a lot of what Bruce said in his definition. I think it's a quarterback that can get you to the playoffs consistently. And in terms of how quickly, I think it's year two, year three. And I know year two sounds a little bit early, especially uh, in today's NFL when they get kind of thrown out into the fire really quickly and they don't really necessarily get that time to develop like they used to, like quarterbacks used to. But I, I just think that, by year three, teams need to have a, a good idea of what they have there because then all of a sudden you're talking a uh, fifth-year option that you have to determine going into year four. Uh, I, I feel like the quarterback position itself has been accelerated like n- never before in terms of teams either are going to move on from you or stick with you faster than ever. Uh, so, yeah, I, I, I always looked at it as a quarterback that can lead you into the playoffs. And, again, when I say – the quarterback leading to the playoffs, meaning that they are the big reason. They are the main reason. So when you, when you look across the league, you're looking at like a guy like Tom Brady who did a year in, year out against AFC East just because he was head and shoulders above everyone else. But then you look at in other divisions too, about some of those quarterbacks that were able to do it consistently, your, your Peyton Mannings. And um, obviously in, in current day, you're looking at guys like Pat Mahomes guys that you expect to lead their teams to victory and into the playoffs year in, year out. I think the way that we define franchise quarterbacks is such an interesting topic, and it varies depending on who you're listening to. Because I think there's a very big portion of football media, you know, football analysts, whatever, however you want to categorize them, that really like this idea that people, that players fit into boxes. And once you put a player in a box, you don't move them. You know, Josh Allen came into the, to the league as an inaccurate, you know, strong-armed mobile quarterback, and that is what he is destined to be, and there's no moving you off of that spot. That's just who you believe he's going to be. So if you are trying to further a narrative that there is going to be some type of regression in year three, and by the way, let's, let's mention that in that case, you're admitting that there was a, a level of success in year two. If, if you're going to regress, you must have, you're regressing from something. And here's what you'd be regressing from if there was a regression. 29 touchdowns, total touchdowns last year. And I know that there's a portion that likes to kind of minimize his running ability. And I, I never understand that. And, you know, Mookie Hawkins from Wufo Sports asked the question um, to Josh on the, on the conference call this week. And he said, why does he think that he was criticized? Uh, why does he think he's so criticized for being a runner? And I think what Mookie really wanted, how he really wanted to ask him was like, why do you think people minimize your impact as a runner on the game? Because like, I don't think that Josh is necessarily criticized for running. In fact, you know, you look at some of his highlights over the years and people, you know, praise him for a lot of the plays that he makes, the toughness that he shows. If he's criticized at all, it's for like, you know, that's a dangerous style of football and you got to be careful there. Uh, but I thought it was a good question because it got Josh to really think about 
you know, the way that he plays the game and, and, and his impact on the game. I think, for me, a franchise quarterback is somebody that impacts the games when it comes to winning and losing games. And what is the way that you impact a game more than anything? Scoring touchdowns. And the Bills offense wasn't great at scoring touchdowns last year, but Josh Allen was. He had 29. Only five guys in the league had more than him last season. Was he an, an elite passer? By no means. But there is definitely enough that I watched in 17, 16 regular season, one playoff game, to tell me that there's still potential for him to grow into a franchise quarterback. And I'm, I'm even on the fence about calling him that right now. Uh, obviously, he has still more to prove, but the production, the impact that I saw last year, it, it says to me that there's franchise possibilities, franchise quarterback possibilities. Yeah, I'd agree with that. I think franchise quarterback possibilities is, I mean, there is an entire tier of quarterbacks that are currently awaiting their stamp. They're awaiting, they're awaiting their box, Matt, like you just said. They're awaiting somebody to put them in the box, the yes or the no's. You know, I think that there's a group of, a group of quarterbacks you would consider to be the elite of the elite on the unquestionable franchise quarterbacks. Then you would have a, a tier of quarterbacks that you believe that pretty much everybody except the hardened haters would say, yeah, they're probably a franchise quarterback. And then you have this large group and I would argue, if from a bell curve standpoint, the largest group of quarterbacks are people who are stuck in this weird limbo. They're transient. They're coming or they're going on their way to franchise quarterback status or bust. And I think that Josh Allen's in that. I think that Sam Darnold's in that. I think Baker Mayfield's in that. You know, some people are coming, some people are going. I think Kirk Cousins is perpetually stuck in that spot where depending on the day and depending on how much they like him that day, he could be in that spot. I think Derek Carr's in that spot. I think that there's other people who are in this transient stage. And I think if you stay there for a long time, then it kind of ends up being your answer for a lot of teams. But you're hopefully on your way moving up through that tier to the bona fide yes okay he's the guy we move on now we can have debates over which guy is the better guy but at that point you're clearly in a tier of okay these guys are clearly the guy and i think that josh allen is in that transient stage right now i think that that's one of the reasons why it was so important to get him an alpha number one receiver like stefan diggs it was one of the reasons why it was so important that he work on his mechanics and his throwing trajectory for the deep ball this year because this is the year when people are thinking, okay, he's, he's going to show us who he really is. Now, I, I don't necessarily think this is like the end-all, be-all year that everything is going to come down to this year, but I think there's a reasonable chance that at the end of this year, we have a, a pretty good idea, barring anything crazy, because we've gone back to the definition of franchise quarterback, and that was we have to look at how good the remainder of team has to be. And when you look at the other 52 on this roster, I don't think it's an argument that Brandon Bean's done a good job. I mean, for goodness sake, look at the 2018 Buffalo Bills roster and then look at the 2020. Look at the offensive skill positions by themselves. They aren't even in the league. The offensive line was a disaster. So Brandon Bean's like, listen, I've done my part. I took care of the remainder of team. Now the team's success and Josh Allen's contribution to the team's success, given the controlled substances which in this case are the remainder of 52 we have isolated the variable right the variable is josh allen so from a scientific standpoint we have controlled the remainder of team we've isolated the variable all right josh let's see what you got yeah i really like that and i, and I like some of the the plays you brought because i was thinking car the whole time you were mentioning those players stuck in a box because i want to say it was like after 2015 2016 just about everyone was projecting him to be that franchise quarterback. The Raiders finally got one right. But I feel like – and injuries have obviously taken their toll and factored into this. But since then, he's kind of been in that box like, all right, he's going to be this, but he's never taken that next step. I feel like Cam Newton is in that box now because of injuries where at one point, yeah, he was a franchise quarterback. I don't think anyone would have doubted that. But now there's questions about injuries and, and can he be that guy again? And I feel like he's in that box. And, and maybe one guy going the other way is Jimmy G uh, in San Francisco where he, he helped them get to the Super Bowl. And now they, they maybe need one more season to say, this guy is just it. So 
there's just so many different variables that factor into whether or not a, a player can be a franchise quarterback. And then when they get there, there's certain things that need to work in their favor for them to remain there. Is it, do you guys agree with that? Is, am I on the right track with that belief? Yeah, I'd agree with that. I think that there's, there's an interesting thing with Jimmy Garoppolo because if you look at any of the quarterbacks who are in that kind of middle tier bucket, he has such a good coaching staff and such an, an intrinsic ability Kyle Shanahan does to, to draw up offense that you almost run into a Jared Goff question with him. With Jared Goff, the outside zone scheme, the amount of work, and the turnaround that Sean McVay was able to do with Jared Goff when he came to Los Angeles and the turnaround that Jared Goff had in his career was so incredibly about face. It was so 180 that it almost made you like just step back for a second and go, is this, is this Jared Goff or is this Sean McVay? And then when Jared Goff then had to step back and when people started to figure out a way to stop the outside zone in the running game and, and bottle up the, the entire play action system on which Sean McVay's offense is built and Jared Goff started struggling, then the questions started to creep in. And with Jimmy Garoppolo, a lot of those questions are still there, but you don't know if he's going in one direction or the other direction. Like we know on a data point standpoint, they might be in the same bucket, but if you look at the trajectories, they might be going different ways. We could can end up 2021 saying, yep, Jimmy G's the guy. Or we could end up saying at the end of 2021, well, he was clearly a product of Kyle Shanahan's impressive offensive system because, you know, a lot of people want to talk about Kyler Murray and the ability of the Arizona Cardinals head coach Cliff Kinsbury to draw up easy throws for Kyler Murray and to how many percentage of his throws were within a certain amount of yards of the line of scrimmage and the ability to, to get the ball to playmakers in space and generate nice, easy throws. I compared the offense that Mitchell Trubisky runs in Chicago with Matt Nagy as being in the kiddie pool compared to Brian Dable's offense, which is throwing Josh Allen in the deep end. I said, you know, if there's one quarterback, we're not going to have to worry about wondering if it's the quarterback or the offensive coordinator. It's Josh Allen. Not because Brian Dable's a bad offensive coordinator, because the offense isn't predicated on gimmicks and it's not predicated on making things easy for the quarterback. Brian Dable asks Josh Allen to make big boy throws in the intermediate side of the field and make big boy reads and have matching route concepts where he has a zone beater on the right side and a man beater on the left side and says, okay, Josh, figure it out, buddy. Like we're going to throw you in the deep end and make sure you can do it. And so we're not going to have to worry about limping along in this weird purgatory. I think we're going to succeed fast with Josh Allen or we're going to fail fast with Josh Allen, but I don't think we're going to be stuck for four more years in this weird purgatory, wondering if it's really Allen or if it's just Dable making him look good. I don't think we're going to have to worry about that. For those reasons, we don't have the same offensive system that the Rams have, that the Cardinals have, that the Bears have, where we're not making things artificially easy on the quarterback. And I think it's going to help us evaluate Josh Allen moving forward. I think you bring up a great point with the coaching because it takes me back to a guy that, you know, back before I started covering the Bills and was just a, a regular old fan like anybody else, I had a friend in Vegas who was a huge Alex or uh, Kansas City Chiefs fan. And, you know, we would always, in our, like, little cubicle group, we would always discuss, like, Alex Smith's value as a quarterback and whether or not he you, – you can win with him long term. And, you know, there was one guy in the group that thought how many teams – you know, and this was, like, 2015 after Andy Reid was there and, like, um, you could see the impact that Andy Reid was starting to have on Alex Smith's career. I mean – 20 touchdowns-ish a season, 3,500 yards, 65% or better for four straight or for three straight seasons there from 15 to 17. Um, a really good, solid quarterback. And we, we, we would have this argument all the time. Like the, you could do so much worse than Alex Smith, but you're almost, you're almost kind of then, when you find a player like that, you're almost like, you know, there's only so much you can do. There's, he was one in four with Kansas City in the playoffs. It was no secret that, the, that, that by his fifth playoff game, the Chiefs knew they had to do something different. But in that moment, in those three years, they had a quarterback that was good enough to win with, to Ryan's point, get you to the playoffs every year. I think Josh Allen is at least that. I think he showed that last year being a raw 
player in year two, still developing. I think that it's funny that Bill's, this is a separate conversation, but while we're on it, I want to have it because it's been kind of, you know, I've wanted to have it for a while. It's interesting the mindset of, of Bill's fans. And I was one for three decades before doing this. And, you know, I've mentioned it several times. When you start covering the team, it kind of just changes. But to watch even me put myself in the shoes and go back to the, the height of my fandom, I still think I would have had higher expectations for the Bills than I, than I feel like most people do. And I understand that years and years of torment and years and years of disappointment put you in a place where you're still willing to give Bill Belichick the, 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 the benefit of the doubt. But I think that with the way that this roster looks and with the notable losses on the defensive side of the ball for New England, the Bills should be the exclamation point favorite in the AFC East. At least that's where things should start in the conversation for me. And I'd like to hear both of your thoughts on that. Bruce, I'll let you start with this one. I, I understand that. I think that I think that the torment that you described has done a, a pretty decent job of destroying the expectations and the souls of Bills fans everywhere to the point where they're afraid to they're afraid to to want things. It's a little bit like ambition. It crushes your ambition because if you don't have ambition for anything, you can't be disappointed, right? One of the great Bruceisms is expectations minus reality equals disappointment. I have long said that disappointment can actually be quantified. If you can quantify your expectations and you can quantify reality, you can quantify disappointment. And one of those things is controllable and expectations. So with the fear of feeling that disappointment, I think comes from that. But I get it. I understand why in our heads we think there's no reason why this team shouldn't be the odds-on favorite for the AFC East crown. No reason. Zero reasons. But we like the underdog mentality. And that's another part of it that we have to understand is that it's not just about protecting yourself from disappointment. It's about liking the underdog thing. This city, these fan bases, they thrive on it. They, they'll never tell you that because they, I don't think they really want to talk about it because it makes them uncomfortable. <laughs> but they, they, they love it. They love the moment where we get to say, screenshot all the people who talked crap about us before we played the game. I, I famously did it myself. The, prior to the Broncos game last year, I had never seen a fan base that was just unnecessarily arrogant going into that game. Like there were plenty of comments about how Josh Allen wasn't even the best quarterback named Allen in that game. And I was like, I'm sorry, what now? So just for some kicks and giggles, I made sure I screenshotted about 30 of it. And then when we stomped all over the Broncos, I said, hey, hashtag Broncos country, come get your people. And I posted all of them, right? Because we like that. We like the, the cold take. We like the at old takes exposed. We like that stuff. And if we get to be the underdog. And, you know, Sean McDermott loves that stuff too. You know, it, the Giants game last year, very famously, he was not happy about the internal messaging, quote unquote, getting out about the comments that were made about Josh Allen by the, at the time, you know, Giants head coach, Pat Shermer. And we know that he thrives on that too. So we can't really give ourselves too hard of a time about loving the underdog mentality because we have a head coach who thrives on that and uses it for motivation. And we know that Bill Belichick's done that with the Patriots for years. So part of it is protecting ourselves by keeping our expectations low. The other part of it is we really like being able to overcome negative expectations so we can dunk on people. <laughs> I, I like that a lot. And, and, you know, you're, you're right because we've seen Sean McDermott, we've seen Brendan Bean, we've seen Bill's players come out this year recently and say, oh, no, we're not the favorites until we beat New England. And a part of me gets that because that has been the team that has dominated this division for so many years. But this isn't New England anymore, so to speak. Tom Brady, gone. The greatest offensive line coach in, in NFL history, history, arguably, gone. So many key pieces on that defense are now gone. So this is, this is a New England team 
and maybe I'll get dunked on for saying this, on its last legs. This is not the same team that we've seen dominate and run, and run roughshod over the division. So uh, I think there's that cautiousness coming from the team where they don't want to come out and, and give the Patriots or any other team any bulletin board material. And, and I think our fan base is the same way. And maybe it's because we can kind of relate to Browns fans. Brown, you know, as a franchise, that's a team that, has not had a lot of success over over the past 20, 30 years. And last year, they were all of a sudden shot into a rocket into the stratosphere of these guys are supposed to be Super Bowl contenders. These guys are the real deal. And they fell flat on their face, fell way short of expectations. And maybe the fan base and the regime itself in Buffalo doesn't want to be in that same boat uh, one year later. Uh, it's just so interesting, this whole conversation, in my opinion, because the Bills, yes, I agree with Matt. They should consider themselves the favorite. The fan base should be coming out this year saying, hey, we should be the favorite not only to win this division, but to be able to make some noise in the playoffs, win at least one game. I, I think it would be a, a total disappointment of a year if the Bills don't win the division and they don't win at least one playoff game. Now, you know, talk about two, talk about getting all the way to the, the Super Bowl. Maybe that's unrealistic. I don't know because you still have teams like the Chiefs. You still have teams like Baltimore. But things change year to year, injuries, things like that. Um, look at Earl Thomas, what happened there with a little bit of a fist fight. So the dynamics of teams change. So I wouldn't be shocked by the end of the year. The Bills go even further than just one game victory into the playoffs. But I just feel like the fans are, are, you're right, are almost afraid of getting dunked on, and we like the fact that we can, or they can dunk on other people. Someone who covers this team and has spent, what do we got now? How many games? 30-plus games watching uh, Josh Allen. One of the things that I think frustrates me about the national conversation is that, I don't think that people are as informed on what they're dissecting as they need to be. And I'm not sitting here saying that because I've watched every play of Josh Allen's career, I'm somehow more qualified to give you projections on him or evaluations on him. Not, not at all. Not in the slightest. What I am saying, because to be honest with you, and I've been very open about this, if I were to sit here and tell you and rate myself in terms of my football IQ and my ability to watch tape, you know, I'm not so sure out of a scale of one to 10, if I could go much higher than a five, you know, I've watched football my entire life, but I just from listening and watching and reading, you know, men and women that can really break down film. I just don't see the game the same way. I just don't. I, it's, it's, it's a talent. It's why there's so few people in the league that do what they do. And that's okay. But what I would like there to be is for any, the one thing I could say for myself is that I've watched every play. I've been in every moment. I've taken it all in and I've, I've really just dissected the topic at hand. I think you should have a little calculator, you know, on your Twitter feed that like notches every play snap that you watch for Josh Allen. And you have to meet a minimum threshold before you enter the conversation. Bruce, is that too much to ask? You must be this tall to get on the ride. You must be this many <laughs> inches. If we're at Hershey Park in Pennsylvania, you can't be uh, a Kit Kat. You gotta be a Mr. Goodbar to get on the ride. To, to get on this Josh Allen Twitter ride, you must be this tall. I agree with you. I think that, I think that because Josh Allen's stat line is so strange, I think it lends itself toward lazy takes because it's real easy to just say, well, he had the lowest completion percentage in the league. He sucks. Okay. So, so that's it. That, that, that's all you got, right? We're going we're gonna to ignore the second layer, what I would call the contextual metrics. So when someone comes at me and says, well, he had the lowest completion percentage in the league. I'm like, did you know he had one of the highest depths of the targets? Oh, uh, well, I don't know. Did you know he had the highest drop rate? Uh, would you agree that those two things have an effect on completion percentage? Oh, uh, well, uh, he's, he, uh, he, he can't hit the broadside of a barn. Got you. Ha ha. Totally got you, Bruce. <laughs> yeah. You suck. Uh, O'Doyle rules. I mean, that's basically all we got now. We basically have that level of argument going on and I'm okay having dialogue about 
Josh Allen's drawbacks. I've said on numerous occasions, I think he's a below average passer and a tremendous runner. And overall, that equates to being a an okay quarterback. I think that's where we're at right now with Josh Allen. That's my personal opinion. I think he's an okay quarterback. I think he's a below average passer. I think he's an, a, a tremendous runner. I think Lamar Jackson and Josh Allen are the two best runners in the league. I don't think the third person's close. I mean, the most effective play from a running standpoint last year in for EPA per rush was a Josh Allen rushing play. I mean, th- th- there's a reason for that. It's not just about total yards. And that's what they try to compare Trubisky and Allen. They go, well, you know, rushing yards. They're not even the same kind of runners. If it's third and one, if it's fourth and one, if it's third and five, if it's second and goal, if there is a specific marker that needs to be achieved in order to keep the sticks moving or get points, Josh Allen's going to get it and Mitch Trubisky's not. Mitch Trubisky running for nine yards on third and 27 doesn't do anything for me. I'm so sorry. It's just, it doesn't do anything for me. This is, the, this is the failure of just looking at the stat line, comparing the two and going, look, they're the same. Because we have contextual metrics now. We have film. We have all these things that we can use, but we don't want to use them because we prefer our lazy takes. And the national media contributes to that with their takes. They contribute to that because what I do is I get people, I get Jets fans or Chiefs fans or Vikings fans jumping into my comments, right? Because they're spurred on by national people who don't watch enough. And so when the national people don't have responsibility with their narrative, when they're willing to be blatantly irresponsible is what I would call that with a narrative, when they're willing to say things like, well, you know, Josh Allen's Blake Bortles. If you're willing to say that makes that equality right there, not even a comparison, equality. Josh Allen is Blake Bortles. If you're willing to say that and be so incredibly irresponsible, then you're doing the narrative on a national level a disservice because you're stirring them up. And then I have to deal with that nonsense in my comments because you couldn't keep your trap shut until you knew something. So now I have to deal with the ramifications of a fire that you started Mr. National Media Writer. And I don't think that's really fair. And I think I got a bone to pick, so you can come talk to me. You know, two things. Uh, One thing for both of you, uh, Bruce, uh, Josh Allen is a runner as well. Not just the rushing yards itself, the fact that opposing teams respect him so much. Look at uh, the touchdown pass that he had to Cole Beasley on that Thanksgiving Day game where he, he was able to kind of roll out and the defense was kind of sucked into that play and they lost Beasley. You look at the plays where um, he looked like he was going to be dead to rights in the backfield against the Broncos last year, and he was able to get away from multiple defenders. So his ability, his escapability because of his athleticism, because he can run, that's another layer that makes him, as you said, you know, probably an average quarterback right now. But it's things that a lot of quarterbacks can't do. He can keep those plays alive with his feet until someone gets open. So I agree with you. I love that you brought up that point, Matt. I love the thing that you said about how there should be little tally marks for fans before they comment because how many fans are only looking at those low-light highlights that get shared on Twitter where he's overthrowing guys and he's throwing them into the ground that you can make on any single quarterback in the NFL. These opposing fan bases that are making these comments maybe see see two games of his per year maybe a little bit more than that, depending on what market they're in. But none of them really have, have extensive knowledge of watching every one of his snaps. So, yeah, I love. I wish it was that way on Twitter where you had to watch so many games and so many snaps before they could comment. Unfortunately, you know, in the social media age, this is what you have to deal with these days. So, Bruce, I have one last thing I want to say before we get out of here because we do have to get out of here. And I, I would have liked to have gotten more into – Bruce does a cool thing. He, he, he puts all the quarterbacks into tiers and tiers how he views the positions. Before I – just explain that because I want you to release those before the season starts so people can kind of get an idea. And I think we'll circle back after we get into things and, and maybe dive into that a little bit more once we get a look at some of the – because I think it's a, it's, a, it's a better conversation to have for when we get to, you know, some data on year three for a lot of these guys the unknowns like Baker and Sam Darnold and Josh Allen explain a little bit about the tiers. So as I mentioned, when we were talking about the definition of a franchise quarterback, I think that you can tier quarterbacks by how much help a franchise needs to give them. So the way that I have broken it down historically is I've said there are one, two, three, four, five different tiers of quarterbacks. And I think that tiering 
is intrinsically better than ranking because it allows you to draw kind of similarities between groups of quarterbacks, right? Banding almost these quarterbacks together because a lot of times there's more commonality with situations than you can necessarily always communicate and enumerate when you're just ranking them one through 32. I think you can get more nuance to the conversation if you're willing to tier because then you have to title the tiers and each person in that tier has to fit in that definition of a title. I just think you can get better conversations from tiering than from ranking. So the first tier is can win Super Bowl primarily due to if you have this quarterback on your roster, you can win a Super Bowl. And if you win a Super Bowl, you will likely say that the primary reason, the plurality of the reason why you won that Super Bowl was because of the play of that quarterback. Basically, if you have this quarterback on your roster, you have a shot. Patrick Mahomes, Drew Brees, Russell Wilson. Very, very elite of the elite tier. Every year, I keep thinking Drew Brees is going to fall out of this tier, and every year he doesn't do it. Coming into 2019, I watched the last couple of games of Drew Brees in 2018, and I thought, okay, this is it, guys. This is it. We're headed down the road. This is the year he slacks off. Not so much. The next tier is need notable support to win Super Bowl, but can make playoffs primarily due to. So if you remember the definition of franchise quarterback, this is where we get to the, okay, these guys previously were the elite of the lead. These are people I would say unquestionably are franchise quarterbacks. Because if you have them on your roster and you do even a reasonable amount of job in surrounding them with talent, you can make the playoffs. Lamar Jackson, Deshaun Watson, Carson Wentz, Matt Ryan, Ben Roethlisberger, Dak Prescott, Aaron Rodgers, Tom Brady. The Patriots last year is a great example of this. A lot of people would think maybe Tom Brady, yeah, he's, he's washed. Well, Tom Brady washed is still better than a lot of other players. And so I do think that the Patriots losing Tom Brady is still meaningful because the Patriots roster last year was not that good, folks. <laughs> the Patriots roster last year was not that good. They had the defensive player of the year, and that's, that's wonderful, and that's really helpful. But Tom Brady cycled through receivers last year like, like they were part-time retail jobs. It was not great, Bob, by any means. And Keel Harry, so far, has lived up to my scouting report of him being late-stage Des Bryant, a guy who can win contested catches but can't separate from me in the open field. He's so far lived up to that, and the camp reports coming out of Patriots this year is that he's still struggling to separate. So these are people, this is the class of quarterbacks you say, yes, they're absolutely the guy. If they're on your team, you have a shot to make the playoffs. The next tier is this weird middle ground that you and I talked about earlier, where this is the, this is the middle of the bell curve. This is the highest point on the bell curve. This is need notable support to make playoffs. This is where the questions start to come. The people in this tier might be the guy. They might not be the guy. Or we're leaning maybe toward, okay, they're probably not the guy, but they're decent enough that if we give them support, maybe they can make it. That's where this is this weird middle ground. This is where you have the transient quarterbacks coming or going. This is Jimmy Garoppolo, Kirk Cousins, Baker Mayfield, Josh Allen, Sam Darnold, Philip Rivers, Cam Newton, Jared Goff, Ryan Tannehill, Derek Carr, Matt Stafford, Kyler Murray, Ryan Fitzpatrick, Daniel Jones, and Teddy Bridgewater. These are coming and going. I'm not saying that everyone in this tier is equal to each other. I'm saying they all fall under this banner, which is need notable support to make the playoffs. Do we really think that Jimmy Garoppolo was the primary reason why the 49ers made the Super Bowl last year? Anybody? I don't think so. Did he get notable support? Yes, he did. This is why Jared Goff is below Carson Wentz because of what Ryan Talbot, what Matt Perino already talked to you guys about. They talked to you about this needing help. Kyler Murray, Derek Carr, for the same reason. Ryan Fitzpatrick can make the playoffs. I think he was a few seconds away from doing it with the Jets. He didn't get a significant amount of support. I don't think he's ever been on a good team. Ryan Fitzpatrick has been, you know, getting teams from tanking level to just good enough to get by for a long time. But if you gave him notable support, I really do believe he could make the playoffs. Then you get to the bottom tier, which is you need significant support to make playoffs. These are the players where you need to have an elite remainder of team because we've established, I think you can make the playoffs with basically any quarterback in the league. The only question that separates them is how much help do you need to give them? And with this lower tier, the answer is you got to give them a lot of help. And that is Tyrod Taylor, Mitchell Trubisky, Gardner Minshew. Any one of those teams can make the playoffs. Tyrod Taylor almost made the playoffs. 
Mitchell Trubisky did make the playoffs. Now, he happened to have significant support. That Bears defense in 2018 was setting Mitchell Trubisky up for success a lot. They led the league in significant impact defensive plays that set up the Chicago Bears for positive field position. So he did make the playoffs. You can't say, oh, well, Trubisky is a playoff quarterback. Well, technically, anyone can be a playoff quarterback. The question is just how much help did you give them? And he got a lot of help. And last year, when the help kind of diminished, you saw what happened. And the last tier is undetermined. These are people who we do not have a statistically significant data sample size. Josh Allen was in this tier last year. Now, this tier is occupied by Joe Burrow, Drew Locke, and Dwayne Haskins. And so, I don't think you can put rookies in here. You can't put people who haven't started a game. There's no, there's no data. You can assume based on what you might think they project to, but I'm not willing to do that for the sake of this tier. So those are the tiers for the quarterbacks that I've kind of built for 2020. And that's the reason why I have them in those tiers. I think the big overarching point here is that if you isolate the variable, which is the quarterback, the real method of tiering them is how much help do we have to give them? I love it. I wanted you to kind of lay that out because that was really a big, you know, one of the premises that we were entering this thing on, this discussion that I wanted to have. And we kind of went all over the place. Um, and I think in, future, in a future episode, I want to dive a little bit. I'll, I will take a swipe at a few of those placements in, on a future episode, but I wanted to end with this. And hopefully, Bruce, you put that out somehow so people can kind of view it. And I'll link to it in the, in the show notes too when you do. Because uh, I think it's a cool just conversation starter. But I think one of the, the things with discussing quarterbacks and discussing players and, you know, evaluating what people can be and what, what we think they are and what they've been is that people don't like what makes them look bad or what makes them look wrong. And what I think we saw from Josh Allen last year made a lot of people look wrong. And he reached adequate levels of production in areas of the game of football that his harshest critics joked about, laughed about. I sat in the New England press box and these guys, like, as a rookie, were laughing at this kid, just airmailing it over receivers' heads. And, you know, you go, you fast forward to the New England game the next year in, in Foxborough and... It wasn't a great game by any stretch, but there was a couple throws in there that you got a gasp, uh, you know, a, a collective release of air from a room that I don't think thought he can make that throw to Dawson Knox at the goal line or that throw to undress Stephon Gilmore, you know, in the second half. And the thing about it is I think what we do is we enter with high stakes on a lot of these discussion points. We put our flag in the ground and we say, Josh Allen is this or Josh Allen is that. And we have to, we feel like we have to stick to that no matter what. I went into this saying in 2018, when I started on the beat, I don't know what the hell Josh Allen is. You know, I've seen some stuff I don't like. I've seen some stuff that as time has gone on, I've really liked. And I think that he's progressing nicely. And, and I have a fundamental belief that athletes can develop. You can coach them. They can improve. And so I'm never going to listen to somebody, or I'll listen to them, because there's a lot of people I respect that have goofy opinions. But I just don't hold, as high, I just don't hold those opinions in as high regard when you come at something with such a narrow mindset when evaluating what this whole thing is. And it goes back to, for me, if you're that passionate about this whole debate, that I think you got to take a step back and realize that you can be right and wrong. It's part of what goes on in, in politics today. And I know this could sidestep into a very poor conversation on the Shout Buffalo football podcast. But I think we all need to unlock our boots from the mud in a lot of things and realize that there are other opinions that are worth listening to that's it well i feel personally attacked 
uh, Matt, you know, I, you said there's people we respect who have goofy opinions and I just finished like vomiting mine all over you guys. So I, I feel, I feel very personally attacked. I, I, this has been a trap this whole time. It's like, Hey, come on my podcast. We'll talk about your quarterback tears. I come on there. Oh, this guy's got goofy opinion. No, I'm just kidding. Um, no, I, I really appreciate you having me. I, I, th- I absolutely think you're right. I think that it, it, the ironic thing is that we praise Sean McDermott for his growth mindset and we all have fixed mindsets. I think that's absolutely hilarious. We praise him for his growth mindset and we praise him for his ability to adapt and to take in new information and to make decisions based on new information. And yet we're not willing to do it ourselves in basically any avenue of our life, which I find to be hilariously hypocritical, but uh, it, it does not shock me. Ryan? No, I, <laughs> I agree. Well said for both of you. I, there's too many people that are stuck in their own beliefs and aren't willing to listen to uh, other people, whether we were talking sports, politics, or otherwise. And, and I, I think that has uh, dumbed us down in many ways. And I will shout out that there are people that are low on Josh Allen, who I've listened to at, you know, a lot of hours of podcasts. I mean, I listen to a ton of Bill Barnwell. I think he's great. And I think he's measured. I think he's studied. I mean, you, you, look, you look at some of the threads that he drops over the course of the offseason when he's diving into film and I just respect that. I, I feel like he's putting in the work. And so when he says that he thinks he's picking the Patriots to win the, the AFC East because he has questions about Josh Allen's ability to take the next step, I agree. I, I think that there, there should be questions about that. It's just the mocking and the, uh, the odd fixation with the lazy narratives that I'm just willing to join forces with a gentleman like Bruce Nolan to stamp out in the name of sanity. Bruce Nolan of the Bruce Exclusive Podcast on Buffalo Rumblings. It has been a pleasure, my friend. Thank you for joining us. Thanks for having me. Sweet.